Hey, Rob, Parry Rebay, how was it? Yeah, good. Um, obviously, quite a long day watching it, long race, but one of the fastest ever Rebays, I think the fastest ever. So, not as long as other editions, but yeah, really enjoyed it. Why, why, why do you think it was so fast? Uh, was it the tailwind or just the drugs or, or what do you think? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, yeah, it's pretty dreamy conditions, nice dry course. I think the wind was in their favour for a fair bit of the day. Um, but yeah, just dry conditions and really aggressive racing with, uh, yeah, the race being split quite early on. So for the benefit of the listeners, uh, what we're doing here uh, with Rob and myself, we're going over uh, some of the iconic races in the race calendar. So we're starting with Paris-Roubaix, which is perhaps... Uh, you would say, Rob, uh, the most iconic uh, bike uh, race in the calendar. Would you say that? Yeah, for sure, the most iconic one day. I think, yeah, arguably the Tour de France still trumps it in terms uh, of I the most iconic Tour race. Tour de France has a wider audience beyond cyclists, but I think uh, Paris-Roubaix probably has trumps it in terms of uh, just pure exposure from cyclists itself. What do you think? Oh, potentially. Um, I think it's definitely one where the iconic iconic images come from. But yeah, for sure, the tour reaches wider. So there's definitely more money, more advertising in the tour. Oh, yeah. But Absolutely. maybe a lot of the the people from the pure cycling heartlands of Belgium and France would argue, yeah, Paris Bay is a uh, well, northern France at least. The people of Roubaix would definitely say Paris Bay is bigger than the tour but no not for me for me the tour is still the pinnacle but really yeah I, I don't know like when when you say the tour you're looking at maybe two or three riders that could potentially win it and um I don't know it just lacks that excitement because you sometimes know the winner after I don't know I don't know I'm thinking more the Chris Froome era whereby you kind of knew who the winner was before the race even began so I don't know it lost that luster for me you know what I mean potentially oh yeah you could say it's more predictable I'd say yeah you probably have a wider spread of people who can win uh win Rubail though there's arguably some surprise I think Pogaccia winning winning the tour first time he won it was quite a surprise to a lot of people as well I think he was quite quite a long shot from those but yeah in the Froome era definitely you don't have people winning five five Roubaix in a row I think very few people have won it multiple no, but, times and but like even with all, that Fugacha so. one Rob uh, if, if you look back at him uh, if you look back knowing he's going to be the winner a lot of people say this whereby you can you can see like it was easy for him just sticking on Roglic's will and you know what I mean like if you look back at it obviously at the time it, it was a shock because he's such a newcomer but if you look back at it, uh, you, you can kind of see him winning the tour, I think. But anyway, uh, we're digressing. We're back to Paris-Roubaix. Uh, so <laughs> uh, just a general overview. So uh, Paris-Roubaix doesn't actually start in Paris, does it? Uh, no. Uh, and it uh, starts in Campienne, which is about 50 miles away from Paris, or 50k away, if I remember which. Um, and it actually does finish in Roubaix. Um, it's been going on for about 120 years, am I correct? Yeah, I believe so. I'll trust you, I'm not too sure, but yeah, yeah, something like 119 right. or something like that. They've uh, skipped a few years for the world wars, and obviously, due to COVID as well, which is uh, incredible. Uh, now to come, yeah. come to think of it, but um, it finishes in Roubaix, and a uh, few facts about Roubaix like it's a fairly run down town or area rather, 
uh, it's very close to Lille and uh, very close to the Belgian border as well. So it's very iconic, not just for the French, but for the Belgians as well. Um, in, in many ways, they claim that race too, I believe. So uh, For sure, it's very, very close to the Belgian border. And yeah, for sure, the whole classics campaign and that part of the cycling calendar is seen as Belgian. So for the biggest kind of Northern classic race to be French, I think the, the Belgians lay some stake to it. And with so many past winners being from Belgium, uh, definitely a race important to them for sure. Yeah, and it's about what 250k. Uh, the course stays relatively yeah. the same. Um, it's the same as last year, I think, uh, other than uh, perhaps the sectors being upgraded or downgraded. Um, so obviously, there's first 100k is road, and then the next 150k is littered with cobbles. And this is what makes the race so iconic, I imagine. Um, and gives it that history and as you mentioned previously the uh, very iconic images which is uh, yeah it's, it's etched in uh, especially last year's uh, the wet rebay uh, some of the images out of there was incredible yeah for sure I mean it's been long long time since we had a wet rebay before last year's edition and obviously last year's edition was only six months ago and then previous to that addition with COVID stopping it, it's been two and a half years, but, but yeah, long time since we've had a, uh, a wet Roubaix. And now it's actually been uh, over three years since we had a dry Roubaix. So, so yeah, just because there'd have been one addition in that time. Yes. Um, but yeah. Some of the pictures today as well, absolutely incredible. Just the dust from both the peloton and the cars. Uh, mad, yeah. mad. Um, yeah, cars and bikes really playing a big part today. You see riders fighting to get back on, and yeah, just the amount of dust they have to breathe in would be pretty brutal. So definitely another dynamic to the race for sure. Yeah, so um, there's what thirty cobbled sectors. Uh, two of the most famous and probably the most iconic is the Arenberg Forest, which is absolutely brutal. Uh, but what is more brutal is the Carrefour de Labra, uh, which comes with about seventeen k to go, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, this is uh, this is the one race which I, I think I enjoy this race the most. Not so much because of the racing, although that's fantastic, but just the funky tech that comes out every single year. Um, did you notice anything this year? Yeah, the big story was the the DSM with the. I'm not sure. I think it. I can't remember if it was this that was announced on April first. I think I first wondered if it was an April Fool's joke, but. Uh, yeah, it was, um, yeah, basically wheels where developed from scope where they claimed they could change their tyre pressures as they were moving along. And this is for the, the DSM team, one of the smaller World Tour teams. But yeah, big technology. And by being able to change your tyre pressures uh, throughout the race, obviously a big advantage in higher pressure means lower rolling resistance on the, um, on the tarmac sections. And then lower them for the path for the um for the cobble sections a much smoother ride so if that technology works it'd be a big advantage although this year i think we actually saw the dsm team bottle it i don't think they used it in the end i heard no, they didn't. i think they announced it literally just yesterday um yeah, yeah. and uh, they said uh, due to something about uh it being too much pressure on this race they need to get it right etc uh, but then saying that, they were like, right, we're going to use it on the Tour de France as if there's no pressure uh, to perform on the Tour de France. So that's uh, super interesting. Uh, maybe yeah. the 
tech just isn't ready yet, maybe. I don't know. You'd imagine so. I think if they knew it was going to be a, a genuine advantage for them today, they'd have used it. But if the riders aren't bought into it, if the tech's yeah. not ready, then it's impossible. And for me, yeah, you don't want the first race to use it to be to be Roubaix or, or the Tour. You'd want to try it out on the smaller couple of classics first, I think. So yeah. I think probably the right decision if everything's not quite in place. But, but yeah, um, yeah, sad to see it. But hopefully we see it in the future because it sounds like it could be quite the advantage if if they get to work. I don't know. I don't, I don't follow all these little... I, I don't know. Um, it's like that, the gimmick whereby... I think they had it on Roubaix again a few years ago, whereby they had, like, self-lubricating uh, gizmo of some sort where it would drop a bit of lube every, I don't know, every 10K or something, just so this chain stays lubed through the dust and whatnot. And that didn't take off. And I imagine the scope thing won't take off either. Uh, but that's my... That's my two pens. I don't know. See, it depends how, how the technology develops. At first, the first ones are always a bit ropey. Like I remember the dropper seat post that Mahoric had in San Remo. I think they've been around in mountain bikes for ages when I was first racing mountain bikes. And the first ones were just rubbish. They just broke quite quickly. But I think now every mountain biker races using them. And I think it's becoming more prevalent in roads. So Maybe over time they'll develop the technology, maybe not. But maybe. I think the rationale for both the self-lubricating mechanism and the uh, the changing tyre pressure has, there's good rationale behind it. But if, if yeah. they can't make it mechanically work, then then no, sadly not. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, so I just like the fact that also the bikes completely change. Well, sometimes actually. Um, it's interesting, like the winner of the women's race one on a very endurance-based uh, bicycle, uh, whereas the men's, again, for the third time, I believe, was one on a fairly aero slash, uh, you know, um, conventional bike. So uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Like Matt Heyman, uh, you know, set the trend back in, what, 2016? He won in Scott Foyle. Um, but you, you see a bit of... Uh, I don't know, you see some teams on the Roubaix still, uh, but you see other teams like Optin, like Mohoric was on his Reacto. Last year's was run on a Reacto as well. Uh, what's your thoughts? What's the one to yeah. go for? I'm not too sure about each of the individual bikes. Clearly uh, an aero bike um, on the flats, an obvious option. Then in terms of stiffness, you don't want a dead stiff climbing bike. Um, so some teams will have options to choose from, some teams won't um i'm not too sure about the ineos bike today or or too much about the react though i think that's the the non-aero bike isn't it from Arena? no no Riento is the mahorish was on the super aero uh you know the uh, merida super aero oh, was he yeah 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 and obviously last year um what's his face who won Colbrelli. yeah Colbrelli. he won on a reactor as well so i don't know there's uh it's interesting how you can win on both you know what i mean yeah, for sure. I think, um, yeah, I think there's definitely stuff to it. I think equipment's a big part through Bay. I think probably, although, yeah, I've not looked too much into the bikes. I think this might be one more your area to talk about. Obviously, the tyres have changed. People yeah. going for a lot lower tyre pressures than they were years back and obviously much wider tyres as well for Bay. It's incredible. Mahorich was on, what, 32 mil? And uh, I don't know, about three years ago, uh, that wouldn't have even been possible with this race no, being allowed in the peloton. 
10 years ago, I think it would have been 22 mils as well. So, so, so it's yeah, meant, real, it's real meant, big um, change. Do you, do you think it'll get wider than 32? Well, I don't know. I don't really know what the UCI regulations are, but yeah, I think the wider, the better. Well, to some extent as well, um, especially on the pave sections, wider tyres going to make it so much easier. Um, but yeah, I think they'll be trying to optimise it as much as they can and obviously going wider and wider. You think they'd have found the optimum by now within the UCI rules, so so we'll see. I'm not too sure, to be honest. Yeah, the, the last thing I, I just want to mention is like, it was interesting again, once again, like the two editions of the women's Paris-Roubaix have both been won, been won on a single uh, front train, chain ring, uh, whereas all the men were on double. So again, maybe the women are onto something and the the feathers can pick it up. I don't know. Um, I think work. it makes sense. Single chaining at Roubaix, it's yeah. predominantly yeah. very flat all day. There's no real steep bergs. So, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, but it's interesting. Sense. Why why haven't the men picked it up? You know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe, I guess the Trek team, their Roubaix team was very strong. And maybe if the men's team haven't bought into it, any new piece of equipment or tech or nutrition you have to have buy-in for the riders for it to work as well I feel and if big riders from the men's team or big sports directors haven't bought into it as well then that's a potential reason not to use it I think another big part of tech that we've seen in Roubaix the last year was the um the new specialized bike which had different suspension built in I don't know if you remember last year but the um the basically the whole quick step team had mechanicals and you know, obviously those bikes hadn't been used for about two and a half years or had never been used at all. And clearly they weren't set up right for the riders. The well, was it the bikes or was it the tyres? I thought they just had plenty of punctures. I think I think it was a mix of both, but it just okay. looked like those bikes just weren't race ready. They hadn't trialled them enough. Um, okay. It was interesting. Terpstra was on the Roubaix uh, today. And yeah. uh, you could actually see him because he had uh, some time up front by himself, wasn't it? So you could see him literally turning the dial of the Roubaix, um, yeah. where going from suspension to stiff uh, when he's on the asphalt again. So that's super interesting. And obviously he didn't win, um, but perhaps there's an advantage there, or perhaps there isn't, and it's just a gimmick. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hard to test scientifically, I think, but <laughs> but yeah, it didn't look like it went well for Quick Step or or any team on Specialized today, sadly. So, so not not a great endorsement for them. Yeah, we'll, Good we'll, endorsement we'll, for Trek yesterday. Yeah, but, definitely, uh, definitely. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk about Quick Step as well. They seem to be having a bit of a disaster of the season, but we'll get into them a bit later. Uh, so we'll touch on why uh, Paris-Roubaix is just such a prestigious race. Um, so I've I've thought about that the fact that it's pretty very it's actually not pretty old it's very old starting back in i don't know um the 1800 even no yeah 1896 which is absolutely mad and um you know looking at the average speed of back then as well like they were averaging what 28 uh k per hour which perhaps me and you could do but uh, i imagine the uh, the equipment they were using back then was uh horrific you know yeah so i'd like to give yeah. that a pop I was sending me back in my prime to those days. I reckon I could have a go at sticking in the bunch there, but yeah, yeah. definitely not now. Yeah, it's, it's called the Queen of the Classic. Uh, why, why is that? I I believe it just to be the biggest one, to be fair. Um, 
Yeah, not too sure where a lot of these nicknames come from. Not much <laughs> of a uh, cycling historian myself, but but yeah, I'm sure you can explain it, Janine. No, it's just uh, this, this is what I found basically is just the fact that it's as you mentioned, it's the biggest biggest uh, classic of them all. Like uh, obviously this time of year in spring, you have um, the other races. Like last week, there was the Amstel Gold. Week before, there was again another huge race, which was uh, Tour of Flanders. Um, which was also won by, uh, remind me of, uh, Van der Poel. Um, you know, Van Baal, who won today, he came second, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I didn't have him down as a favourite or even think that he'd win, but um, I guess the writing was on the wall in many ways. Uh, yeah, so. I don't think many people saw Van Baal as much of a favourite today. I think the whole Ineos team, pretty much, uh, all but two of them were seen as outsiders to win and yeah, I think, yeah, you look at Van Baal's results now and his second place at the World Champs last year and yeah, yeah, perhaps yeah. it was more of an obvious one, but yeah, but yeah it was pretty pretty impressive uh, display from the man. I'm pretty sure if he had got a win uh, very recently, we'd be saying different things. Um, we, we, we would have thought of him as a favourite, but just because he's gone under the radar uh, behind Van der Poel, um, you know, Van der Poel still was all the limelight, all the headlines, so I guess he got away with that one, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's interesting for a rider like Van Baal. He's actually a very interesting one for me. Spends most of his, his time at Ineos has been kind of as a, as a domestique, both on the flat and even in the high mountains for the Tour de France, as I think his main roles of the season. And they kind of give him his bit of free range during the classics where he'd had results before coming to Ineos as well. Um, but yeah, he's interestingly a rider. I think all his big results are basically on classics courses, but on warm days, he never seems to go very well in the cold, like the times yeah. he's done well at Flanders before, when he did well at Flanders this year, and when he won Dwarsdor Flanders and today, all very warm, warm races. And the thing about Van Baal is he seems very good at time trialing on his road bike. He likes to get away solo i feel and especially in the warm conditions long hard tough races definitely where he really excels so maybe after 100 kilometers today he could have thought it was a good one for him and he also set him up really well um and put others others of the big favorites on the back foot and yeah it all just really played out nicely for him I yeah i think Ineos played a uh played a masterclass today you know um drop in uh van der Poel art and some of the others and just drilling it with the whole team uh, catching the break. Um, but it, it didn't pan out for them um, at some point. You know, it didn't look like they would win after doing such good work for the first 100, 150K. Um, and the race was just littered with puncture after puncture I saw and crash after crash. I've never, I don't think I've seen as many punctures or crashes in uh, Roubaix uh, as we did today. No, I'm surprised. I don't know. I guess the dusty roads obviously make it more slippy on the corners. And then, yeah, the cobbles are always just as hard as the cobbles are. So, but yeah, like you say, just fantastic work from Ineos. About over 200 kilometres to go. The bunch basically split. I think the main instigator was Mikhail Kwiatkowski. Both him and Luke Rowe are just fantastic racing brains and would have kind of been kind of the road captains within that team have yeah. made up predominantly of younger riders and they caught a lot of the big favourites out mapping and from then on in those uh the last 
50k of that first 100k without cobbles really put teams on the back foot such as Alperson, Fenix, like really strong team around Matthew Vanderpol, but essentially all, all of them were wasted in the first half, bringing him and some other favourites back simply because all of the the team were caught napping in kind of the early wins of the race. Um, so yeah, that was really where Ineos won it for me today. Obviously Van Baal being strong, but that split gave them such a massive advantage and they were unlucky after that. Like you were getting on to Ghana, Lot yeah, of crashes and punctures. He, um, he had a flat and whatnot, uh, and that's interesting. Do you think they came with Vembala uh, as being uh, their leader or their their designated leader? Because I, yeah. I would have thought they were they were pitching for Ghana. You know, it certainly seemed in the in the press and in other preview articles. It certainly seemed like Ghana was the favoured son out of all the Ineos riders, but. I don't think Ineos mentioned it anywhere that he was their favourite. I was listening to one of Geraint Thomas's podcasts where he had Luke Rowe on earlier this week. And Rob, I'm think... not sure you're allowed to mention uh, Rival. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I heard somewhere. I heard on the grapevine. I heard on the grapevine. <laughs> I won't mention which podcast it was. I think he's got two out, but they're both rubbish compared to this. So, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, um, we'll but yeah, no, I think they, they were basically saying they had... A lot of them could have won it. You got Kiyokoski, Magnus Sheffield, who won Brabantz Appeal early in the yeah. week, Ben Turner, yeah. who's been a real revelation, probably arguably for me, potentially the best Neo Pro of the season so far. Um, Van Baal and Ghana. Ghana, I think, I believe, won the under 23 edition, which is partly why he's been hyped up. And then obviously his other exploits in other races um, gave him a super, superstar sort of name. He claimed he was surprised he was being seen as much of a favourite, but all these favourites seem to keep saying that. But yeah, for me, I didn't regard him as a favourite, but I think potentially watching him race, I did understand why some people were seeing him as favourite status. Um, he did get unlucky with the crashes and punctures. However, for me, he was very good technically, but you do kind of make your own look sometimes. And, you know, if you're going to puncture twice, there might be a reason for that. If you're just hitting the cobblestones hard, um, potentially you're going to risk punctures more. You've got to be sensible, look at where you're going. And you know, the riders who crash a lot, like Richie Port and Geraint Thomas, it's not it's not always just bad luck. A lot of the time it is their fault why they have these repeated crashes. So, so yeah, potentially him having a lot of issues were partly caused by himself. So... Yeah, potentially, if he works on that for next year, I think he can come back as a favourite for sure because he certainly has a lot of the qualities needed to win this race. Yeah. Do you, do you think uh, Van der Poel was so dire due to uh, the reoccurring back issue or do you think he just had a bad race and Team Sky, or rather Team Ineos, just played it so well that they made Van der Poel work too hard trying to catch up? I think, yeah, I think they played a blinder for me. Van Aert has been a stronger rider than Van der Poel all year. I think those back issues uh, throughout the winter did hamper his training. Um, although he claimed they claimed he would be totally rubbish at San Remo, he wasn't. But that back issue has had a very detrimental effect on his training and he could be a much better rider if he hadn't had them throughout this last year. Um, but he has. And I think we saw it in Amstel last week. He... He isn't really level of above riders like he has been in previous years. He's 
he's looking very mortal and, and today he definitely looked very mortal and whether that was because he was having back pain on the cobbles, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, to be honest, he looked the worst rider than he was at Roubaix last year. So yeah. so yeah, he just didn't seem to have the legs to get there. And yeah. I think that would in part have been caused by the stress of the big split early on, but Van Aert had to go through that as well. And I think um, Van Aert had much worse look throughout the race than Van der Poel. Yeah, yeah the um, double puncture as well, isn't it? Yeah, but he still seemed yeah. the stronger of the two by a significant margin today. So, so yeah. Stefan Kungford, and uh, I think that's his, what, fifth top five finish again this year? Yeah, absolutely. Phenomenal season for him, obviously. Kind of last year stepped up to kind of be one of the top time trialists. Any time trial he enters, I think you can call him a potential favourite now from last year. But yeah, no. Um, becoming the real star of that team, Group Armour FTJ. And yeah, some great results throughout the year, even Hilly races like the last stage of Paris Nice. Still, Flanders, he was going well as well. And yeah, now today, rounding it off with a very well deserved third place, in my opinion. So yeah. so yeah. The award for the best team, yeah. Personally, I think it should go to Intermarche. Um, they had two two riders in top 10. Uh, no other yeah. team had, had, this, had that. So Tom DeVrint on the front for a lot of the race and uh, ended up fourth. Um, Adrian Petit, I think he just surfed the wheels the whole time, to be honest, and still managed a solid sixth position. Um, but yeah, that team uh, without Sagan seems to be doing okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, massive overperformers into Marche. Uh, obviously, I think uh, Alexander Kristoff would have been their leading light and I think he came solid. I think he was 12th. Honestly, okay. off the top of my head. Yeah. Uh, but then I think. I didn't even notice yeah. him in the race, to be honest. Sargon? No. Uh, Christoph. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sargon's on the yeah, Fettel Energies. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, six. Oh, sorry. Six, yeah. six in the top 23 they had. Um, oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. No, because really? I was seeing, yeah, two in the top, however many. But yeah, it just kept on going. And you know, this is one of the very, very lowly funded team compared to others. Like, not many people will have heard of many people on their team other than yeah, yeah, other yeah. than Christoph. I think the next biggest name on that team is Taco van der Horn, uh, who's in this race. But, but yeah, really punching above their weight on just their standard aero bikes, the cubes. I don't think there was anything special about them. Yeah. But yeah, just fantastic work from them today and all season so far team that's really been stepping up adding value to the incoming riders on their team for sure so so yeah uh i'd still give team of the day to Ineos to be honest but really but yeah. oh well it's the first paris Roubaix in what 12 13 years so no fair play yeah uh but no if i was going to be stealing anyone's sports directors or coaches with the end winning paris Roubaix, i think i'd be uh go trying to poach the old intermarche um, yeah, definitely. Directors and coaches, the, the reason honest, I'd give it to them is because you kind of expect, uh, although Team Ineos have never done this before, you know, um, you, you expect them to be there or thereabouts every single year, or they should be with their budget. Um, yeah, I, I assume their budget would be around four times that of Intermarche's. So, so yeah, yeah, it's for interesting sure. though that uh, with with uh, Ineos no longer uh, having a rider to compete for the tour, they have. Uh, teams or riders now winning classics which they wouldn't previously so well, it's interesting yeah. that shift you know what I mean 
that they're the new quick step for sure. I think yeah, first you just said Yumbo Visma were the earlier in the season you said Yumbo yeah. Visma were the, the best classics team of the year, but with kind of just Liège and uh, Fleshwell on to go, it's looking hard to say it won't be an EOS with yeah, Roubaix, Amstel and Brabant Chappelle in just this last eight days. So so yeah, they've really done something special this classic season and you know. Yeah, they're not the favourites to win the tour, but I think a podium there is what they should be aiming for. I think Roglic is looking weak. They could even be on for a second. It's all, yeah, it's still on. It's still on for them. Martinez is looking yeah. very good. Yates is looking good. And I've got a wry feeling that Pidcock heading to the tour. If he goes, I'm not, and he goes for GC, he'll go for GC one day. It might be a year or two down the line, but I wouldn't. If I'm going to go for a real outsider for the tour, I'm interested in Pidcock. He's my real Pid- outsider. What, really? Pidcock for, for the tour? He's, he, he's going to be, out of everyone in their roster, he's the one who I have most faith in winning the tour one day. I agree wow. this year is probably too early. And kind of the way Bernal had his first tour was kind of just a bit of experience. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if... Pidcock wins the tour in the next three years. I've got a lot of faith in him and just his build and attributes are way more suited to Grand Tour racing, in my opinion, than these couple classics, which is perhaps a nice way to start out your career. Um, but yeah, that's, yeah, you can write that down as my one of my hot takes <laughs> of uh, the next three years, Janaid. You, you head it, it here out. first, yeah? Is that what you're Yeah. <laughs> no, I, honestly, I, I don't see it, but fair enough. Um... He yeah. has the physique. No, not many, not many see it for this year, I don't think, but a uh, yeah. year or two or three, uh, for sure. Right. Uh, so what do you think is going on with uh, Quickstep then? Um, they're having an di- absolute disaster of the season. Yeah, so we've kind of seen a lot of illness in the peloton this year. I think just repeated illness and bad luck is kind of what, what's been quoted for Quickstep as uh, why they've not been performing, but I think every team's suffered with it, and yeah, some worse than others. But yeah, um, that's the main reason I've been hearing in the press why they haven't gone well. Um, I think it's an interesting dynamic within their team. Previously, they were seen as the wolf pack. The team always works together, just a really great team to be a part of. But the things Patrick Lefebvre has been up to this past year, I think it's been rubbing a lot of people up the wrong way, slagging off his own riders, such as Sam Bennett. And Remco Evenepoel. He's um, been doing that for a long time, then, no? I think, yeah, I don't know to the same extent, but he's been saying some harsh words and harsh words to his people on his own team, which I don't think can be good for morale at all. So, so yeah, um, I don't think that was helping, but it's mainly looking like a lot of the riders just simply don't have the legs, and it's not just the classics team for me. Remco and Philippe have also been underperforming so far this year. So, so whether it's been a change in a training staff or or what, they just don't look like they've got the legs essentially. So, yeah. so yeah. No, it's interesting. And uh, just to finish off with Paris Roubaix, um, I think a lot of them were trying out tubeless uh, this season, uh, back to the tech really, and uh, that doesn't seem to be working out. We haven't got too much information on. Uh, what they were actually using and why they had so much punctures. But I'm interested to hear what comes out and what teams are going to change for next year. And uh, perhaps, uh, Rob, if this takes off, we'll be there next year. You know what I mean? 
I think, yeah, I think tubeless is definitely, yeah, becoming more widespread, but obviously whether it works through Bay, I don't know. Um, Magnus Backstead on the commentary for GCN today was slagging it off a lot, but yeah, not my area of expertise, but we'll see what comes out of the the press. But yeah, generally it'll be up to the sponsors um, so people can't go slagging off their equipment too much. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. We'll, when are we on next? Uh, next, I believe we will be um, talking through um, the age best on the age, which is yeah. next weekend. Yeah. Um, what's so, what's yeah. in between now and then? Uh, in between now and then, so I believe starting tomorrow, we will have uh, first stage of Tour of the Alps tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, so that's a good stage race, basically. So the Tour de France has the Criterium de Dauphiné, which is kind of the week-long stage race where the favourites test their legs. And for the uh, Giro d'Italia, that is kind of the Tour of the Alps. So you'll probably see most of the favourites for Tour of Italy there. Um, so that'll be an interesting watch. There'll also be Flesh Will On, I believe, on Wednesday. Um, so, yeah, lots of racing before uh, the final monument kind of of the spring, which Liège passed on the age this weekend, well, next weekend. Yeah, oh, excellent. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll uh, reconvene on Sunday next week an update on the age best on the age and if you guys haven't already uh be sure to check out rob's um own podcast he came on on episode eight uh so you get to learn more about who rob is and what he does and yeah any any finishing words rob for no uh yeah just thanks for listening and yeah i look forward to coming on a few more times and yeah talking recent bike races with you janaid so yeah no thank you for coming on we got a lot to learn from you thanks a lot 